Hi everyone, I'm going to read to you the new Points to Ponder column. This was written for the weekly Torah portion of Va'ela from the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus tells us the story of the ten plagues, the ten colossal supernatural disasters that God inflicted on Egypt and whose purpose was to force Pharaoh to set the Israelites free. Children usually have no real issue with the story of the ten plagues. They enjoy seeing the bad guys get their comeuppance. But for adults, questions often arise. For example, why must the Egyptians endure so many plagues? And why such catastrophic ones? Generally speaking, what is the deeper meaning of the ten plagues? The story of the Israelites' exodus from Egypt is a prelude to another story, that of the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. Interestingly, these two stories share a noteworthy detail. At the center of both lies the number 10, the 10 plagues and the 10 commandments. Might there be a connection between the two tens? The answer is yes, and it lies in yet a third 10, a more hidden one, that precedes them both. The 10 utterances, the divine sayings through which God created the world. Nine of these utterances are stated explicitly, preceded by the words God said, and one of them, the first, is implied in the Torah's opening word, Bereshit, in the beginning, which the Jewish sages interpreted as signifying a unique silent utterance. The Ten Utterances and the Ten Commandments, two sets of divine acts of speech, are seen in Judaism as complementary. They symbolize the two fundamental ways in which God reveals himself to the world. The Ten Utterances, used to create the world, embody the aspect of God that resides within nature. This aspect is expressed in the wondrous order of the laws of nature, in nature's beauty, and in the myriad of naturally occurring processes of growth and development. It is an immanent aspect of God, i.e. one in which he feels present and close at hand, but also an impersonal one. All of nature is equally divine. The Ten Commandments, on the other hand, embody the aspect of God that lies beyond nature. This aspect violates the laws of nature, it intervenes in history's trajectory, and it brings into the world a kind of sublime light that the world cannot reach on its own. This is a transcendent aspect of God, i.e. one in which he feels distant and unreachable. Yet, paradoxically, it is also one that reveals him as a personal God, who contacts us directly and beseeches us to enter into a divine covenant with him. The opposite and complementary nature of these two approaches is implied in the divine names that each one employs to describe God. The ten utterances use the name Elohim. This name, this word is written with an H, but I pronounce it with a K, as is the custom. The name literally means powers, and it expresses the multitude of natural forces at work in nature. It also, interestingly, shares the same gematria, i.e. the same numerical value, as the Hebrew word for nature, hateva. In contrast, the Ten Commandments use the ineffable name, which is usually written as YHVH, also known as the Tetragrammaton, and usually replaced in biblical translations by the term the Lord. In Hebrew, we refer to it simply as Hashem, which means the name. This sublime and mysterious word serves as God's 
first name, so to speak. It also contains within it the Hebrew words for was, is, and will be. Haya, hove, ve Which is to say that it hints at something eternal and timeless that lies beyond the flow of regular time. Now, what does all this teach us about the ten plagues? Well, according to Kabbalistic teachings, the plagues, which appear in the Bible in between the ten utterances of Genesis and the ten commandments of later on in Exodus, these ten plagues are actually an intermediate level between the two other sets of ten, between the the ten utterances and the ten commandments. In some mysterious way, they help transition us from appreciating God only as residing within nature to encountering God as he also exists beyond nature. But what does this mean? Why must we go through the ten plagues in order to receive the ten commandments? Experiencing God in nature is a wonderful thing. The verse in Psalms says, The heavens recite the glory of God, and the sky tells us of the work of His hands. Psalms 19.2 Who among us does not experience God's presence when marveling at a breathtaking landscape, or when appreciating uh, the wonders of the animal world? Yet the wonders of nature can be a double-edged sword. The same sense of harmonious wholeness that reminds us of God, can also serve to obliterate him from our consciousness. If the universe is such a harmonious whole, why bother imagining a creator behind its wheel? In the Bible, the word Elohim that we identified, that is associated with the ten utterances, with creation, with the divine within creation, that word Elohim is also used in reference to false idols, They're called in Hebrew, Elohim Acherim, other gods. So too, the awareness of the divine within nature can deteriorate into a kind of nature worship. Nature worship may take on many forms. It can assume a more uh, rationalistic and masculine guise, like that of the pantheism of the philosopher, the Jewish-Dutch philosopher Baruch Spinoza, Spinoza, Or it can assume a more mystical and feminine guise, like in the worship of the goddess that's so prevalent in New Age circles. But regardless of its appearance, it refers to a worldview in which God is always and already here, surrounding us, penetrating us, present within us. And therefore, because it's only imminent, not transcendent, all that remains is to accept and love what is, not what could be or what should be. In this dense fabric of imminence and passivity, no opening exists for another more transcendent voice to enter, a voice that calls upon us to actively rise above nature, to rebel against it if necessary, and through these actions connect to levels of light and truth higher than those that we may achieve within it. This voice cannot enter when all we believe in wholeheartedly is that God is only imminent here forever and always and never something that appears as a a voice or a, a presence that commands us or asks us to transcend. Egypt, which worshipped animals and the Nile River, is the epitome of this kind of nature worship, which denies the notion of a transcendent personal God. Pharaoh taunts Moses, who is 
YHVH, the Lord, that I should obey His voice. Here he's using the holier, the more sublime name, Hashem. I do not know Hashem, so says Pharaoh. And indeed, it was from ancient Egypt that an entire tradition, very influential in the West, arose, known as Hermeticism, or Hermetic philosophy. The central tenet of this philosophy was that all mysteries of existence are embedded and hidden within the natural world. The Israelites' enslavements in Egypt meant that, to a certain extent, they too were immersed in the Egyptian worldview of nature worship. Although most Jewish sources emphasize the total separation between Israel and the Egyptians, others reveal that the truth was more complicated. Many Israelites became deeply attached to Egyptian culture and wished to remain there. In addition, there is a principle in Hasidic teachings that says that all of our external enemies exist also within us. Within every Israelite, there is an inner Egyptian seeking to enslave them. Now we can fully understand the inner purpose of the Ten Plagues. They were meant to shake up the nature worship of the Egyptians, both those from without and those from within. Do you believe that nature is the source of your abundance? Know then that its waters can come to betray you. Do you marvel at the harmony of the animal world? Learn to what extent it can threaten your livelihood and your life. Do you admire your beautiful body? Remember that it too can become afflicted with lice and disease. The Egyptian exile marks the nadir of a process of deterioration that began with the creation of the world, in which the ten utterances, God's presence in nature, became covered up by the external shells of the worship of nature. Nature had ceased being a portrait reflecting God's face and became a mask concealing it. In order for God's transcendent voice to be heard over the clamor of these shells, it was necessary, so to speak, to bang on the table and create silence. This was the purpose of the ten plagues. Indeed, in Hebrew, the plagues are called makot, which means strikes, as of someone striking something to break its external shell. This idea is hinted at by God's statement to Moses, which appears just before the story of the plagues and opens the Torah portion of Va'era, that heretofore he, God, had not become known to the Israelites with his name Hashem, YHVH. This is in Exodus 6.3. This is followed by the promise that once the exodus from Egypt takes place, they will know him by his name, verse 7, shortly afterwards. Before God can reveal himself as transcendent, he must first shatter any preconceived notions people may have of him as only imminent. Today, too, many are content with worshipping or appreciating the divine within nature. There's something so comforting about it, so calming and sedative almost. Who needs anything else? But life truly begins when this image is cracked. Only then, through the crevice, can a divine speech higher than that echoed by nature break forth into our world and invite us to join it and transcend. Hi, if you enjoyed this video, please press like, subscribe to the channel, and consider sharing it with your friends. See you in the next video.